0: I'm um, Impact Wrestling star, the big LG Doc Gallows, and you're listening to Generation of Wrestling.
1: Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another episode of Generation of Wrestling podcast. It's always it's yours truly, the 27-year-old piece of gold, the franchise, a.k.a. the showstopper. And with me as always, I get my tag partner, my brother, my family. Introduce the first step. He is the flawless one. <laughs> the flies in the room. Mr. One, Two, Three, pin that ass down. K. Bruzy, A.K.A. Two Cold, Camper on the building. How you doing, brother?
2: Man, I'm good, man. What's good with you, bro? Man, I'm excited for today, man. I'm
1: excited. I'm excited too. And today, man, we got a special guests. You may know him from, uh, let's see, Deep South Wrestling, original TNA, WWE, uh, New Japan Pro Wrestling. Now he's back in Impact. We got Doc Gallows in the building, brother. How you doing? All, All right, right, I'm good, man. I'm good. Thanks for having
0: me in today. Man, congratulations
1: on your
2: current title run.
1: Yeah,
0: yeah, thanks, man. This uh, Impact run has started off pretty hot. It's been fun. There's a lot of cool stuff coming up. So uh, it's an exciting time in wrestling again, and I think we needed it coming out of this pandemic because, as you guys know, things have been shitty for a lot of people. Uh, So it's exciting for wrestling to be kicking back up into gear, this crossover stuff with New Japan, with AEW. Uh, I'm pretty excited again because at first it was a bummer, wrestling in front of no crowd and stuff like that. But uh, now I think there's some big positives that are about to pop up out of this, and I think the fans are going to be really excited. I mean, especially
2: with uh, you, you guys teaming up with Omega going up against Motor, uh, the Motor City Machine Guns and Rich Swan. Uh, yeah, looking forward to that. Uh, how excited are you guys looking for the that kind of reunion again?
0: Man, I'm I'm hugely excited for it. I think that uh, you know there's been an appetite for there to be some kind of a Bullet Club reunion for a lot of years now, since everybody kind of broke off and went their separate ways. So. Uh, I take my hat off to the cons, to Scott DeMore, to, to Don Callis, um, to, you know, to the people working backstage to make it happen, to the Bucks, to Kenny, to, to us. You know what I mean? Because it's something we've all wanted to do. And I think it's cool that we're all in a place where uh, maybe there's a, a way that it's all going to take place and happen now. And I think that Kenny coming to our, our pay-per-view coming up on January the 16th is, is really cool. It's big crossover stuff and uh, very excited to take part in it, man.
1: Awesome. Well, my, my question to you would be, man, the Bullet Club, man, has been running wild for a long time now. You guys have had many members. Of course, you got Fan Valley, you got Tama Tonga, uh, Cody at one point. So no. my question to you would be, what do you think made the Bullet Club so white hot, not only in New Japan, but across the whole wrestling landscape? I mean, you go to uh, AEW shows, shirts. You go to WWE shows, WrestleMania, shirts. Why do you think you guys are so – like? what do you think is so special about you guys in your group? I think
0: that it was it was kind of like uh, magic in a bottle, lightning in a bottle, whatever you would call it. But I, I think people were able to see there were these American guys coming together in Japan, and we were generally having a good time together. And you could also tell, I think, that a lot of guys performing at the top of their game, but we weren't re- we weren't scripted. It was unscripted. Nobody gave us lines to say. We were just ourselves. And I think we were having so much fun doing that and really trying to pop each other that it came across to the fans, and when the fans started seeing that and enjoying it along with us, that's when it got really hot. But, I mean, you know, we were over there so much, like, when it was getting hot. I was doing, like, 30, 35 weeks a year in Japan, so you're, like, in a bubble, you know? Um, but I remember coming home and going to the mall with my son and seeing people in the mall with Bullet Club shirts on. I was like, oh, shit, this is, this is a big deal. This is a Japanese wrestling T-shirt, you know? Right. Yeah. <laughs> I remember we were all hanging out. It was a Sunday in Japan and WrestleMania was on. And somebody pulled WrestleMania up on the laptop and they did a like a wide shot of the crowd. Mm-hmm. And we were like, oh, shit, look at all those Bullet Club shirts. And that's when it kind of clicked. Like, this is a big deal and it's crossing over and it's getting some, you know, attention in the States and everywhere
1: else, too. So it was pretty cool. Now, who was behind the design of the Bullet Club, shirt? Because it's, it's, it's not necessarily a very intricate design, but, man, it's, it's cool as hell to look at. It's almost like less is better type. So this is – I don't
0: think anybody's ever even said this before, and I don't know if I've ever brought it up. But the first – the original Bullet Club shirt, not the famous, like, skull one that everybody has, the first one that just said Bullet Club and, like, the red and the whatever else was on there. Uh, I don't know. That was New Japan. They were all New Japan designs. But the, that one that everybody remembers, I had painted my face with, like, the the big horns coming down across my eyes and, like, the skull thing coming on. And, I mean, nobody ever clarified it. But I thought after – because, like, a week or two after that paint job, I saw the design of that shirt. I was like, whoa, those are badass. I'm like, I wonder if that came off that face paint that I just made up at this little house show. And I don't know. But I think that the design of the way that skull was with the lines came from that. But whoever came up with it, it was a damn good idea. So I'm glad they did. <laughs> right.
2: <laughs> awesome. Too cold. I'm going to pass it to you, brother. Uh, so, okay. So with the Bullet Club and, and the amount of people that have come and gone, yeah. is there a iteration of it that you where it was the highest point for you guys, especially for you coming uh, from WWE, transitioning over to New Japan?
0: It's funny, I am gonna I'm gonna find the text right now, but we, we have a, a group text still with a bunch of us in it
2: and Carl sent a picture
0: yesterday and he said, I think this is as hot as it was and then the picture it's like we're all in the ring, it's AJ, Kenny, Carl and me, Tama, the Bucks, Fale, and Yujiro. And Cody Hall's in there too, actually. But it was it was a pretty damn solid group right then. It's like a big picture. It's right when the shirt came out and there's a big flag behind us and stuff, and I remember taking it and it was that was about as cool as we ever were i think when all of us were together like that and then we used to call um Fale, carl and myself we called ourselves the core four we all Mm -hmm. have it tattooed on because we were the ones that were working full time like aj had the schedule where he'd just come in for the big shows and the bucks were doing a lot of other stuff in the states so they were there a lot too but they weren't doing like the full tours like we'd be there for the big pay-per-view and then like the tv from corkin but everybody else would fly home and then We'd be out there in some po-dunk-ass town in front of, you know, five 600 people <laughs> at night. So we were out there doing, like, stuff that wasn't as glamorous as well, just beating feet and uh, making towns and all that. But it's, it was a real uh, special time in my career. I'm super close with those guys to this day. And uh, you bond like that when you're with people all the time like that, like we were. Because, I mean, we were, like, in the same hotel together. We'd go to the gym together. We'd wrestle on the show together. A lot of times those house shows, we'd do an eight-man tag or six-man. We'd all be in the ring together. We get out of the ring in the office. We go, okay, Bullet Club. You guys have a sponsor tonight. You're all going here, and this guy's going to pick you up. You're going to go here. Then we'd eat and drink and party all night together. And then we get up and do it again and go to the next one. So it was like, we had to be close, or the shit wouldn't have worked out.
2: So, right, y'all yeah, most definitely guys were most definitely close. Uh, well, before we go any further, uh, I wanted to ask you, man, what got you into wrestling? What were you uh, what was your main motivation? Who were the guys that you were looking at that you saw and was like, man, you know, that 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 maybe something that I could do? Who were your main motivations? Man, if, if you I, had,
0: I, yeah, no, I did. I got bit by. I got bit hard by it. I was watching cartoons on Saturday morning and I was flipping through. I was eight years old, and it was Superstars, and I saw Jake the Snake Roberts, man, and he hit a DDT and he pulled the snake out of the bag, and he dropped. Oh, yeah. it whoever it was, and I was like, whoa, I got to do that. And then I kept watching. I remember the next guy I saw was the British Bulldog, Davy Boy Smith, and he had, like, those dreadlocks, and that he was all jacked up and tan. I'm like, these guys are cool as shit. I seeing Hulk Hogan and stuff. Like, I didn't know there was a WCW the first couple of years I watched wrestling because I was just an eight-year-old kid, nine-year-old kid. And then I discovered that, and then, I mean, my my markdom was full on. I had every magazine, every toy, every whatever my parents would let me have, I had it. I was obsessed and it stayed that way. I didn't have that phase where I grew out of it or whatever. I just was always into it. And then when I, uh, I went to play college football when I was 17, I graduated by the time I was 18. I was already wrestling. I'm not supposed to be wrestling under a mask and travel around doing these little shows. And then eventually, I got caught doing that and I had an ultimatum and I chose wrestling, so I lost my scholarship, and I've been doing it ever
2: since. <laughs> what, what was your uh, What was your name that you were traveling? Your, that oh, you, realized? I mean,
0: I, I, there was a lot, but in the very beginning, I was the Human Cadillac Dorian DeVille.
2: Human Cadillac, <laughs> <laughs> okay, I like it. I like it. That
0: nice. I, I thought it was going to last a lot longer than it did, but that's all right. So.
2: <laughs> Hey, man, at least you had to. You you got to have you got to enjoy it. No one knew knew who you were until they found out, but you know, you got to have some fun and do what you like, so that's That's awesome, yeah.
1: Well, you know, I want to take it back a little bit. You know, you say you 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 had the bug from an early age and never left, so I want to go for one of your earlier gimmicks, uh, the freaking Deacon. What was the inspiration behind that one, man?
0: Man, so I uh they, they were, I, I was sending my matches. I was driving up and down the East Coast. And I was sending my matches into WWE every week. I wanted to get hired bad. And they opened deep south here in Georgia. I still live in middle Georgia now. And they were trying to fill the territory up. So they hired like 20 wrestlers. There's like one or two girls, 18 guys. And I was the greenest one by far. Like these guys had been to Puerto Rico and been to Japan and been to Mexico. And i just been doing these little hillbilly ass independence i didn't know anything yet you know but i did know that like i was a weird kid i had a lot of charisma and i could talk so i was pretty much like one of the best promo guys there so i was like well my wrestling's gotta i gotta keep learning on this side of it so let me uh let me do some character stuff here and then i started cutting these weird promos and then jody hamilton's like well, i want to get you a spider there's been a guy with a snake how about a spider And i'm like i'm not real big on spiders but i'll do whatever i gotta it. so then i had had a tarantula that I kept in my apartment with me and I would mess with him all the time. And that became part of the gimmick and I'd bring him to the ring and you know, I'd beat a guy and put the spider on him and shit like that. But uh, Yeah. There was some crazy stuff that came out of the spider because <laughs> WWE liked it, but you couldn't travel with a, you know, a tarantula by that time, it was 2005 or something like that. But we had, a, we were doing promos one day and they were like, we love how weird you are. Get weirder. Show us more. And I'm like, I already got a spider crawling up and down my face. What more can I do? So I had this this terrible idea that I would. I was like, the spider's comfortable with me. He's not going to bite me. You know, we're we're cool, right? I was going to put him in my mouth, and then as soon as the red light came on the camera, open my mouth. The lights come on. There's a spider crawling out. That's a freaky shot. I'm going to cut this promo. I'm like, I'll be on roll next week if I do that, right? <laughs> yeah. What I didn't realize is you can't put a spider in your mouth because they think they're being fucking eaten. So. <laughs> <laughs> I closed my mouth and this tarantula shoots these like these like porcupine like hairs they have on their backs and shot down into my throat and into my tongue and it bit me on the mouth and came out. So instead of cutting a cool promo, I was on the ground like <laughs> dying. <laughs> Damn, dying. So, yeah, man. And then it just started swelling up and everybody was mad at me. So nobody cared or looked after you back then. They're like you drive yourself to the urgent care. Some driving to urgent care. And go like, <gasps> am I going to choke to death on my way there? Or what's going to happen? But yeah, so those were the early days of the freaking Deacon.
1: <laughs> well, well, following the freaking Deacon, another one, man. Uh, in your early career, you had Festus. Now, the the thing I want to know about Festus, well, whose idea was it? Was it your idea? Was it WWE Creative's idea? And was it where was it supposed to go, if anywhere?
0: You know, I don't know that it was ever supposed to go anywhere. I think it was a middle card comedy act. It was um, it was a total Vince McMahon idea. Like, I did the imposter Kane thing in 06, and that was just to promote the Cino Evil movie. So that wasn't going to be a, a long-running thing. So we did that for a month or whatever. We had the weird Kane versus Kane match. I went back to developmental, and I'm like, what am I going to do now? I don't really have a gimmick. And they had brought Henry Godwin to Deep South, and they tagged him with Ray Gordy, and they were going to do, like, this new Godwin, like – Hillbilly gimmick, and I was like, you know, I don't know what kind of legs that has, but I don't have a lot of other options here. So Henry ended up, I don't know if he got released or he had some kind of like family issue, and he had to go for whatever it was. So then they still wanted these hillbillies, and Ray needed a partner, so they were trying out all these different guys, bringing them in from different places. And I was like, I went and got like the Blue Collar Comedy Store DVD from Redbox and watched it, and then I wrote a promo. I went to the next day, I'm like, let me be one of the hillbillies. Let me try. So, like, we cut a promo. We did a little match. We filmed it. And then next thing you know, we're, like, going and doing dark matches. So, we're going to be these hillbillies, right? Whatever. It's a start. And um, we're out in the ring before a TV. We're supposed to debut. We're going to work some local guys. And they come out of the ring, and they're like, hey, Vince needs to see you both in his office right now. I'm like, at this point, I've never said anything to Vince. I'm like, are we getting fired before it even starts? What the hell? So, we go in <laughs> right. and uh, Man, we sat down, and Vince was like, can you do this? And he started making that Festus face at me. (laughs) He was like, do it. And I'm, like, trying to do it back, you know. And this is intimidating when you're a 22, 23-year-old kid, whatever. He's like, no, not like that, like this. Vince McMahon and I are sticking our tongues out at each other for, like, 20 minutes. (laughs) He's like, all right. And then when the bell rings, you're going to go crazy. And then when it rings again, you'll be catatonic again. And he looks over at Gordy, and Gordy's sitting there, like, dumbfounded, and he goes, and you – What's your favorite color? And he goes, uh, yellow. He goes, all right, Jesse, and you'll be his handler. We were like, what the fuck just happened? I'll see you guys next week. And that's how it started.
1: (laughs) Damn,
2: that's crazy. Yeah, it it, it was crazy. I, well, I, yeah, I was going to act like, yeah, who came up with this, the the blank stare look? But you, you said that was, it
0: was- that was Vince. I will say this, though, with that character. I don't think it could have went much further since the character couldn't talk. But for that little period, you know, two, two and a half year run, we had, it was a fun character because kids knew who Festus was. He was the guy who went nuts when the bell rang. So anywhere we went around the country or even overseas or whatever, they would wait for it. And we'd get a big reaction, got a big pop. So it was like it was a cool first gimmick starting out a little uh. Little baby face run. I worked with The Undertaker on a SmackDown main event when I was like 24. So that was all stuff I don't think I would have got to do, you know, that in my career. So it, it, I did some cool shit with it. So everyone's always like, are you embarrassed of that? And I'm like, no. I mean, my first house with that, that was my first little run. So it is is what it is, just part of the journey, you know?
2: Right. Uh, so between Festus and when you came back as you know part of the straight edge society, what were you – uh, what, were, what was kind of going on that in between time, and and far as your mindset and and what you wanted to do, was this something you wanted to continue to do, or were you just looking for a new way to kind of advance yourself?
0: Uh, I was. I would have been, you know, twenty five or something, and I, I just was like, hey, it's time. They had gotten. They split us up, and I knew, the, like, you can't split up Jesse and Festus, because what the hell are either one of them going to do? It's a dude named what? and then this dude that just wanders around and waits for a bell to So I went to raw and they weren't doing much with me on raw. I would do like, you know, I'd be in like mixed tags or stuff with like people they weren't really doing anything with, so I was just a dude on raw hanging out. So I knew that wasn't going to change. And then they were going to repackage me and put me like um, under a mask. They were talking about me coming in and doing something with Kane again, like as a big heel. And then, you know, whatever happened with that, we went, we got a mask made. I went down to Florida to FCW. We tried it out. We cut some promos. But during the time I was there trying that out, I was, they were talking about putting me on Raw to do that. They brought Undertaker and CM Punk down. And Punk and I were buddies. And I'd already worked with Taker. But they were looking for a heater because at that time, WWE mindset was Punk's not big enough to get heat on Undertaker. He needs a big man on the floor to do the dirty work for him, which, of course, if you guys know the history of CM Punk, he staunchly disagreed with. But that was Vince's thought. So they were looking at all these big dudes. Well, Punk didn't know any of them, and Taker didn't know any of them. And then here I was, and they're like, well, we both know Drew. Like, Use him. And I went, okay, cool, perfect. And that's kind of how that Fell together, so we tried it like on a loop of uh, house shows, and it w- it went easy. Like I said, Punk and I got along good, and then, and then that was kind of the start of the whole uh, Straight Edge
1: Society deal. Do you think if Punk was wrestling today, you think he'd be part of the Bullet Club? <laughs> Man, I, I don't know Punk. Yeah.
0: Punk's a <laughs> <laughs> he he does love New Japan. I know that he does. We don't. We used to talk every day. We don't talk anymore but uh yeah he uh he did love the japanese stuff i didn't know that
1: well speaking of so your first run in tna how did mm-hmm. that come out
0: uh it was so i'd gotten released and i was going everywhere because like wrestling had kind of gone in reverse for me i was st- still so young so i was pumped i went to puerto rico i went to mexico i went to japan for the first time for the inokis i went for noah uh, i was just going everywhere wrestling but it'd been like i don't know year and a half i'd been off tv and i knew i was like all right well you got to get back on tv because you're going to cool off too much and people are going to forget about you so i had uh dutch mantel called book me to go to india they were doing a thing over there at the time it was like a tna spinoff that jeff jarrett was running and there were a lot of tna guys so i went and did this isaiah cash character and it was basically like the american badass undertaker of India, like, I rode the bike to the ring, the leather, the whole nine yards. And it was fun. And it worked over there. It got over. With the time, um, Sons of Anarchy was getting popular uh, mm-hmm. in the States. And um, and I knew that Eric Bischoff was, like, a producer of, a like, a biker reality show about some motorcycle gang or whatever. So I, I just yeah, called I think up. I, you remember it?
2: I think a, a little bit, yeah.
0: Yeah, I don't remember the name of it. But I, I remember it being on or whatever. All those biker shows were a big deal whenever uh, – Right, yeah that, yeah, that was about that time for you. I, I just hit him up and I drove down and I said, let me come to a dark match and see if you guys think I can fit in down there. And I did. And I remember I came back and Vince Russo was like, yeah, you're a great worker. I just don't know what we can do with you. And I was like, what? So I went and found Bischoff and I didn't know him at all yet. And I said, uh, I started explaining the biker gimmick to him and tell him I'd done it in India. And he's like, "I know. I produced a show already about biker gangs. I know how popular that I was like, "All right, relax, dude." So I was like, "Damn, I think I blew. It It might have been a bad first impression." So I went home, and then like, I don't know, four or five days later, they called me offered for me a contract. And then Bischoff was Bischoff was great to me. I can't say enough good stuff about him. He was really cool. But the first time was kind of like, "Oh shit, I think I messed this up." But it ended up working out. So and that was a fun run too because I went in there and like. I was in WWE so young. I wrestled everybody. I felt like, but then you got like Sting over there and Hogan, and I wrestled Kurt Angle a bunch and Jeff Hardy. So it was a bunch of dudes that were like, you know, big names in the business that I hadn't even touched yet. So I got to work with all of them. It was a lot of fun.
1: Now you said Sting. You said Hogan. You said Bischoff, uh, Angle, everybody. How do you feel right now? Because for the longest time, you know, for twenty years, WWE has kind of been the only major show in town, and then you had a few years where it looked like TNA was going to kind of catch up. Then they fell back off. Now, obviously, you have all of these wrestling, which you know formed a partnership with uh, Impact, is now known. So, how do you feel about shows coming together since it's Impact and AEW? And do you think that the pandemic and AEW? How do you do you think the pandemic was sort of kind of like a reset that the pro wrestling world needed? In a lot
0: of ways, this is a weird thing to say, but there were a lot of positives that came out of the massive negative of the pandemic, I think, kind of in the wrestling world. Obviously, we wish there was no pandemic and all this terrible stuff didn't happen all over the place. But, like, for me personally, and I think for the wrestling business, it, it's going to end up having a positive effect because I don't know that you would have seen Impact and AEW working together if there was no pandemic. I don't know if you would have seen the. the – the, we're in the beginning now of – uh, Impact and New Japan working together. We had Chris Bay come from Impact to do the Super Juniors in Japan. Rocky Romero, our talking shop partner, was very instrumental in doing that. Uh, you're going to – you know, it's it's been documented. You're going to see us in New Japan whenever these um, quarantine rules relax a little bit more, hopefully sooner rather than later. So I think you're going to see a crossover of a lot of the talent. And then another thing that came out of it too was like we would have never – been able to put on these parody pay-per-views and start a business out of that. If it wasn't a pandemic, because I think people were just so hungry for entertainment content, stuff like that to watch. And we get fired after being in a WrestleMania main event. And I'm like, Carl's pissed off. I've been through this before. I go, how do we not parody this? We got to spoof it. That's the way that we, that's that's, that's, that's the reaction. We got to make fun of everything that they've been doing. And uh and then we <laughs> I came up with Talk and Shop and we put it on pay-per-view and it was a hit and now it's a thing. So uh it was it was a weird
2: uh you know blessing for wrestling in a lot of ways. Uh before you uh we I know we kind of went past a little bit of the WWE stuff, but I wanted to ask you, how was it for you guys just being able to be around AJ Styles and Finn Balor in WWE? And also was there ever a point where a conversation was brought up to maybe start the Bullet Club with you four guys there I know they did the OC with you and Styles and, and Anderson but was there ever that you know a conversation with Vince or whatever to hey you know maybe this could be something that we could possibly try to do or whatever
0: not to my knowledge we always thought they should have done it they should have done it like right away when we came in at 16 and then the further you got away from it it just you know, they put us with Finn for a little bit on Raw, but we never – we weren't on any show with him very much at all other than that couple months on Raw. I mean, because right. he was there. I think we were on SmackDown at one point, then he was back in NXT. We were with AJ a lot. We did the club with AJ, and then when they split the club up, they didn't tell AJ or us. So he was really pissed off, and we went to the other show, and then um, – you know, the, the OC thing, I feel like the reason they did the OC was because we were going to leave and go to AEW. Our contracts were up in September of 2019. It was right. no secret we were buddies over there. We had a very nice offer to go over there. And then they were trying to keep us and make us happy, and AJ wanted us to stay because he wanted to keep his buddies around, you know. I mean, we were boys. We're both Atlanta guys. We'd hang out together, whatever. So he wanted us to stay together. Um, and I think that was part of, you know, not only the – Money they kept upping to get us to stay, but I think <laughs> having that creative and putting the OC together was, was, they thought that would make us happy and be a reason to keep us around. And then ultimately, he saw how that worked out. So,
2: <laughs> uh, unfortunately, yeah. Well, okay. So, uh, one more thing. Uh,
0: so it was very fortunate, actually. It was just weird.
2: <laughs> it was fortunate, but unfortunate. It was like you, you, you got your money, but it was like right. after a while, I was like, right, you know what, we're gonna go ahead and let you go. Was like, well, you could have just could have did that anyway, but uh, yeah, I go,
0: go, walk when I asked to <laughs>
2: <laughs> right. uh, for you and Carl Anderson, what is it about you guys as a dynamic as a tag team uh, that makes you guys special and work so well together, especially, uh, and also what was your first time that you actually met Carl and decided that you, this is the guy you want to be a tag team partner. With? So we knew
0: each other, but we weren't like big buddies or anything like, um, had exchanged pleasantries, I guess you would say, seen each other in passing, but never had any real conversations or anything. We started texting a little bit when I was in TNA and he was in Japan because he was watching the show and he would ask me, you know, we've always, we knew that right out of the gate, we could make each other laugh. So he would ask me shit to pop me and I would, you know, answer him back. That was the extent of our relationship. Well, TNA had me for a year and then they had a year option with a raise and for whatever reason, they were having some financial issues at the time or whatever and they were like, hey, we're going to use your option year. We're going to keep you, uh, but there's no raise. And I was like, that's not how contracts work. Like, you have to give me the raise. that's written in there. And it was, I was dealing with Bob Ryder. I wasn't even dealing with anybody in TR. And uh, we just lost Bob last week, so God rest his soul. But Bob was just basically like, well, there's no more money, so if, if that's not acceptable, then we're going to have to let you go. I go, you guys just said you're going to re-up me for another year, not give me a raise, and then when I say that I'm not doing it without the raise, you're going to let me go? So I, I got a, kind of a bad taste in my mouth about that because they said they released me, but that wasn't the case. I was like, well, I'm not staying if there's no raise. Right. So we parted, and that would have been like in, I don't know, July of 13 or something, and I just hit up Carl, and I was like, do you think there's anything over there? And at the time, I'd become friendly with Scott Demore, ironically, and he was helping Magnus do his impact deal at the time, and they were wanting mm-hmm. to keep him. He just had like a title run and stuff. And I was like, man, I want to get into New Japan. I don't know how hard it is to get in over there. I've never worked for New Japan. So Scott reached out to Tiger Hatori, and then at the same time, so did Carl, like, hey, is there anything for this guy? And he literally showed Hatori like a clip of me getting some steam on somebody in TNA. He's like, oh, yeah, good, good worker. Maybe we bring him in. But the funny part I didn't find out until later was Carl was in line to get this big singles push. <laughs> So then they brought me over. They're like, oh, it looks the same. Maybe tag team. And he's like, oh, fuck this guy. I don't want to be a tag team. <laughs> right? I'm about to get my singles run. I'm about to get- okay.
1: yeah.
0: So the first night we come in to do tag league, and um, we had a match in Cork and Hall, and we just clicked, man. We'd never wrestled together before we clicked. It was awesome. We won. We got done. I was like, hey, thanks a lot. That was really cool. He's like, do you like beer? I go, yeah. You like Mexican food? Yeah. You want to go to a sponsor with me? Yeah about an hour and a half into sitting at the Mexican place smashing beers. It was like that stepbrothers moment. Do we just become best friends? <laughs> <laughs> We've been attached to the hip ever since. So, <laughs> even We ride together, eat together, hang out together, drink together, everything together. So we just
1: just brothered up. So, you know, you, you talk about, you know, bad deals and contracts, like kind of how management's, you know, been running a couple oh. of different companies. So my question to you would be this, you know, the original TNA and now Impact. How would you say the run for you and the overall management has changed there? Because we've heard a lot about, you know, Jeff and Dixie. Compared to before, how do you love it over there? So it was it's night and day to me. When I came before, there was stuff
0: going on with Jeff, and I'm a, I'm a, I am I'm like Jeff. Like I said, Jeff hired me to do that India deal. I've always been friendly with Jeff. I worked all the Global Force stuff with Jeff. We've had Jeff in Japan for a little bit. I'm a, I like Jeff. But whatever was going on, Jeff wasn't around or there. So you weren't hundred percent sure who ran stuff. Cause like creative was like Bischoff and I think Bubba and Hulk and those guys were in there, but like, and then Dixie was always there, but it was, it was just ran so differently. And DeMore wasn't working for TNA at the time. Um, but I mean, there was a time then that's when they were going through all that weird stuff and like, you wouldn't get a check and then you wouldn't get it for a month and you wouldn't, and I'm going. it was just weird the way stuff was going. I think that there was, I don't know if there was a power struggle, but there was miscommunication behind the scenes or whatever, um, so when I left, I wasn't pissed off or anything. It was just like, I told you guys, like, there's supposed to be more money. If there ain't more money, then I got to look for another opportunity. So it was just a business decision to go. And then, you know, the bullet club thing happened. So I'm damn glad that it, it worked out the way that it did and brought us all back together. But the cool, cool thing now that's so different is it's, it's Scott Demore and Don Callis are the, the co EVPs over at impact. And then Ed Nordholm who helped put our deal together, uh, from Anthem, uh, sports and entertainment on their end. But what what's been great about it is Scott from the like I was sitting in my sauna I got let go I was texting all my buddies going like oh sorry you got let go like there's no chance we're getting let go and then we do so before it it hit the internet and before I got out of the sauna Scott was like call me when you can I know that uh, you might need some time to think but I need to talk to you right away I want to do business I want to do it now and I want to talk about this deal and I was just like damn. So carl's like i don't want to talk about anything yet and i'm like well i want to hear this let's see what's going on but <laughs> what was cool about it was scott from the very beginning he courted us the whole time but he was like look you guys have grown into your own brand i don't want to stifle that i know if you go somewhere else you might not be able to do the podcast you might not be able because i had my wheels were already spinning on all the side stuff i wanted the bourbon to come out i wanted the wine to come out i wanted to do the talking shop of mania pay-per-views i was just like You know, we can grow right now because I could see that like people were dying for content. I wanted to keep doing that. And he was like, Listen, you wear the impact hat, we'll wear the talking shop Good Brothers hat. We'll support everything y'all are doing. And I mean, dude, right out of the gate, when I saw a talking shop a Mania commercial on an impact broadcast, I knew I made the right decision because it was somebody in wrestling finally going, Here, this is what I'm gonna do and doing exactly that So I'll stay loyal to those guys forever. I'll stay there forever if it's like that because um, having somebody that you can trust, it makes you want to work harder for them. And it makes them want to work harder for you. Like, you know, Scott, Scott's we're business partners on other stuff now out of that. And, you know, he's helping us on our podcast and, and with a lot of different shit. And, you know, i got a lot of other cool opportunities coming up in entertainment and they're nothing but supportive. They want you to go do that and say, Hey, this impact guy's doing this and that and whatever, which it's a real breath of fresh air because for years in WWE or whatever, like there would have been none of that. So it's been, uh, it's been great. I can't say enough good about impact right now. Uh, I like the crew. I like the office. And uh, I think the product's just getting better and better. The show's getting better each week. And then now, of course, you know, the interpromotional stuff's making it more interesting than I think it's been in years. So,
2: Is there any – well, with you guys winning championships pretty much in every company, as far as the tag team I believe you guys have been in, is there any um, – idea of you guys maybe kind of chasing what the boys have done and try to be those elite tag teams that has, you know, captured tag team championships in different companies. Is there still one or two that you're looking to get uh, that you may not have? I think
0: it's always cool. It's always a, a good achievement. I mean, we've had them in New Japan, what, three or four times. We had them in WWE a couple of times. We have them in Impact now. Uh, even my independent, Auto Pro, we have them there because we book it. Um, but, uh, I think so, yeah. I mean, why not? If there's something to do with the Young Bucks and those tag titles and and anywhere else, I think it's important. And I also think it's cool with Impact, too, because you're going to see us doing single stuff. We're always going to be together. But when I I was hurt there for that last little bit before I came back on TV, like Carl had a couple of banger badass singles matches, and people forget we can do that stuff because they see us together. They saw us, you know, at times in WWE being silly and doing some of the other stuff that we do entertainment-wise. And they forget that you can actually throw down a go. So it's it's cool that uh, they get to see that side too.
1: I just got one last question. I know we we running low on time, so I got one last final one. Yeah, good. Uh, as, as 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 far as you go, uh, and I'm you no know, my, my partner can agree. Back when you guys were in WWE, even before that, you know, but especially when you guys came to WWE and now uh, Impact, we've always felt like you guys were one of the best tag teams out there. The one complaint that we have as fans of the product, because we genuinely, genuinely care about the product, is that there's always this thing that seems to be, you know, we creative. We have nothing for you. Yeah, you got a good look, yeah, you have a good gimmick, but we have nothing for you. But then there's other people, we're not going to name names, but, you know, there's other people they push to the moon, yeah. even though fans are telling you and the ratings are telling you this is not what mm-hmm. we want to see. So. For me to you, from us to you, I guess I want I want to get your honest opinion. How much of it really is it not them not having anything for a talent, or them just playing favorites?
0: So that's a really good question, the way that you worded it, because you get asked like, I, yeah, I get this a lot. Like, I don't think they used you right over there. Well, okay, cool, thanks. I don't think they did either. They're, I think they could have done a lot more with us. Okay, but what or, or how? Um, but when you go there. I was there so young and then I was away from it. And when we were going to go back, when we were in Japan, we AJ, Carl, and I uh, sat in a room. It was funny. We had our families in Japan for, with us because we were thinking it was going to be probably our last time at the Dome for a while. And we took a vote and they voted go to WWE and I voted no because I'd already been there and, and been around that ball game and stuff. But I lost the vote. So we went. Um, and it was fine. I'm not saying that I regret it or I was right or anything. Uh, right. I kind of knew how shit worked there and, and and there is a lot of what people don't understand about about WWE and that machine and the the business model and the management a lot of those people have been there for 10 20 25 years in those positions so there's a shitload of politic and you know we used to see certain guys literally sitting on the floor outside of Vince's office lined up the same dudes every week and we were just like we should be doing that, but that's just not the way that I came up. And I'm not going to sit out in front of this dude's door for three or four hours and go in and beg him or work some angle or some kind of not pitching an idea angle, but there's always some kind of sliding around. And, and certain people do get a lot more there than other people do. Right. It's just the way it is. And I'm not bitter about that either, but it, it I agree with you guys because you do see it a lot, and, and not just with us. There were a lot of people that I saw there, especially in this last run because that roster got so big they wanted to sign everybody in the business. Like, I saw my buddy Eric Young say, like, if Vince McMahon failed because if you can't do something with Eric Young, then there's a problem. And I agreed with that because, like, I'd seen what Eric had done in TNA and, like, what a versatile character he was for so many years. And I knew what me and Machine Gun were in Japan. Um, there were a ton of guys like that there. And there's still guys like that there. I was happy to see this last little, I don't like watch WWE now, but we all see everything on social, but I was happy to see that Uso's doing some single stuff with Roman. Like those guys are so damn good, but sometimes man, especially in a tag team in WWE, for whatever reason, they just, they decided that that doesn't draw and they don't like it. Whatever. It's just, it's a part of the show that's over here. That's also, I'm a tag team wrestler. So I do disagree with it. But when you had FTR there, you had us there, you had the new day there. You had the Usos there. I mean, we had a badass tag team division. And a lot yeah. of times it would just be a minuscule part of the show and push to the side. And I'm like, damn, all we need is, you know, give us two quick segments and we can go out there and throw down. But they just there wasn't a lot of times it just wasn't part of the deal. So
2: just the way it goes. A lot of politics. Yeah, I mean, because I mean you say a lot of tag teams, and at that time, you know, it was you guys, the bar. He like yep. said, New Day, like the Usos. So you you, you guys were tearing it up. And, Enzo and, and
0: Bass were, were really young and hot. That, that, like he was good on the yeah. mic. Remember what they say about him? That was hot. <laughs> there was a lot of shit that we would do it. Like we'd go to those big market towns in like Chicago or Boston or New York and fucking blow the roof off the place. And then the next week we weren't really doing anything. It was just like, this doesn't make any sense. It was weird. <laughs>
1: yeah, man, you guys are awesome. But, yeah, like I said, man, it, it's been an honor to have you on the show. Uh, like I said, we want to definitely respect your time. But, man, brother, I appreciate it. And before we get off, do yeah. you have – do you want to plug? I know you got a podcast. Yeah, man, I'm, I'm always plugging.
2: <laughs> <laughs> right myself.
1: Uh, The biggest
0: thing, uh, we got a new podcast that drops every Sunday, Talk & Shop, wherever you listen to podcasts. Join us over there. We got all kinds of bonus content. We have our party with all of our fans. We do every two weeks over on Patreon, Boozing with the Boys. Lots of Sex Ferguson stuff, patreon.com backslash Talk & Shop. Anything Talking Shop, Good Brother, Rocky Romero-related, Mania.com. We're shipping wine and whiskey to 30 states nationwide right now, trying to get further, but COVID liquor laws are strange, so bear with us on that. But uh, a <laughs> holiday sale going on right now, gallowsanderson.com for merchandise, color and elbow brand.com. Please follow my socials, the underscore big LG. Guys, I appreciate you having me on. Y'all were fun. Good questions, good stuff. All right, man, we appreciate you taking the time
2: out to talk with us, man.
1: Yep. Thank you, brother. Thank you. And uh, to go ahead and wrap this up, ladies and gentlemen, thank you once again for tuning in to another episode of the Generation Wrestling Podcast. It's yours truly, the 27-year-old piece of gold. He's too cold, and he's the big LG Doc Gallows. Till next time. Peace.